The Paul Kaharski Podcast is brought to you by Yazoo Brewing Company, a Nashville original since 2003. Welcome in to the Paul Kuharski Podcast. I am Paul Kuharski of paulkuharski.com. And when I introduce this deal, I like to get my name in there three times right out of the gate. So there you go. Madison Blevins out of pocket this week. Uh, and we're going to go a little bit of a different direction and try something a little bit new. So uh, we're familiar with the likes of uh, Greg Cosell uh, from the Midday 180 and Blake Bettingfield, who uh, does some, some scouting work now at paulkuharski.com and who's uh, uh, also becoming a regular guest on the Midday 180 with me and with Jonathan Hutton and with Chad Withrow. Um, but there is a lot of high-quality stuff out there uh, written by people you may not be as familiar with. And one of those people is uh, Mike Herndon, who on Twitter is at Mike Miracles. He writes for the Music City Miracles website, a well-maintained, is it fair to call it, fan site. I don't know if people take that as derogatory. I don't intend it as derogatory. Run by uh, Jimmy Morris, as far as I still know. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great, Paul. And yeah, I would definitely say, uh, you know, fan sites fair. That's kind of, you know, the, the SB nation model, but, um, yeah, I think I like to think we, uh, put out some pretty good, uh, content, even, you know, trying to, trying to obscure our, uh, fan biases. And this is a, uh, a hobby more so than a career. I, I take it. You also co-host a podcast. We'll cross promote here. Tell us about the podcast. Tell us about how, Music City Miracles works in terms of uh, who writes what and uh, if anybody's making any money off of it. Yeah, so um, the podcast is uh, football and other F-words. Um, you can find it at F-words pod on Twitter. And uh, if you look at iTunes or Stitcher or um, uh, I think we're on Spotify now too, uh, you can find it. Just look uh, look for F-words pod. Um, but it's, uh, it's me and uh, a few friends here in Nashville. Um, we get together and uh, talk Titans and other NFL topics, uh, which is, is good fun. And then, uh, you know, the Music City Miracles site, um, you know, it is SB Nation. I know that a, a while back they had uh, kind of a, a dust up about not paying uh, writers and stuff like that. I think that was a pretty big media story at some point uh, last year. But they actually have started paying um, some of the contributors, uh, including myself, on the on the site. So it's uh, a little more than a hobby now, but still mostly uh, mostly a side gig at this point. Well, good deal. Uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm actually an engineer uh, who works in sales. So I uh, I started off technical and crossed onto the dark side crossed onto the dark side and, and um, you know, so I did a podcast with some of your, your, your brethren from, from a, a fan uh, blog, if you will. And we talked a lot about kind of uh, um, guys like you, we talked about you specifically, I think, uh, and, and kind of uh, does it butt heads with somebody like me? What do we think of each other? That kind of thing. I mean, I think there's a lot of um, great stuff written out there by people who aren't, uh, mainstream quote unquote mainstream um you know either in being with a big outlet or or being in a position where it's their career um but i think there's some excellent analysis there i certainly think yours is is excellent which is why i invited you on here uh, i, I wonder kind of how you you view uh the <clears throat> side by side relationship between the work of people like me or, or, you know, Glennon and Haney or Teron Davenport and, and people like you and, uh, and, and some of, and Jimmy Morris and others. 
Yeah, I, I think it's um, it's a great fit, honestly. I mean, I, I don't look at us as uh, necessarily competitor to you guys. You guys are far more connected to the team as far as sources and and direct reporting. You know, what we do more so is is provide analysis and you know, what I like to do is probably a little bit of a niche market more so than, than mainstream because, you know, I go super nerd out over, uh, you know, clips and, and do tape review and, uh, you know, try to try to find out what's happening with the, you know, guys that are on the the bottom end of the roster, that kind of thing um, from a, a play analysis standpoint. So I don't know, I think it's a, a good fit because, you know, your work, which is great, um, really kind of feeds us and vice versa, I would hope. Yeah, I think it's kind of a symbiotic thing. Before we dig into some of what you saw from this opener and some of what you expect uh, from this team, knowing it as you do, I, I, you know, Midday 180 guys always like to talk process. Uh, and I'm fascinated by by you and guys who do it, uh, you know, in a national scope. Um, talk me through uh, how you – rewatch the game and how you kind of record your clips and stuff. I periodically, you know, take a clip off of TV, but I don't use NFL game pass the same way you do. I'm, I'm not very good at creating a GIF. Uh, when I do, it's a stoppy starty thing. I'm curious about the process. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, every week what I do, uh, after the game's over and once the all 22, uh, tape comes up online, um, on game pass, I go through and I watch just kind of play by play and usually kind of scrub it back and forth a few times from different angles, kind of see what the gist of the play was, what the, the scheme was, things like that. And, and, and that's see on Game Pass? Yeah, that, yeah, that's on uh, NFL Game Pass. It's hard to scrub it on Game Pass, isn't it? It makes you go 10 seconds at a time. The yeah. pause button or the play button are constantly disappearing from the screen. I try to freeze it at just the right moment. What I'm trying to hit is always – it's not a uh, – it's a pretty awkward – system is it not yeah it's a, it's not terribly user friendly i will yeah. say that in the coaches film part of it when that you're looking true. at the all 22 angles you can pull it back and forth a little bit better because it'll just the like i guess scroll bar right. uh is only focused on that play so when you do the broadcast version the scroll bars for the whole game and if you move it even a touch you miss like four plays so um it's a little bit easier on that but it's not a terribly user-friendly uh system overall but i kind of go through find some plays that i think either highlighted something they did that a, a player did well or the team did well uh, or maybe something that they didn't do well or something that maybe didn't get noticed on the first watch is really what I'm looking for. And uh, I'll, I'll kind of clip those plays as I go. So I'll pause it. And I've got a screen record program that I use that um, records the, the clip. And then I edit it in, the, uh, in that program and can add like spotlights or notes or stuff like that. Sometimes I add more than others. But um, and then I export it turn it into a gif uh, using a little website that i use and um post it in there how long does that take you say to do one play that you i've got spotlighting <laughs> a guy on i've gotten significantly better at it since i started it took me forever at first um but uh, you know I've, now it probably takes me if i wanted to go f pull one play clip it and turn it into a gif it'd probably take me um maybe five minutes tops 
I so you're on the side of GIF. I, I know you listen to somewhat. <laughs> the originator says it's GIF, so we maintain GIF. So you and I are on the opposite sides. <laughs> I think it's awkward to say GIF, but I think it's also correct. It, I, I, yeah, and I the only reason I say GIF is because I think peanut butter when I say when I say GIF. So yeah, I do too. All right, so one of the guys you spotlighted out of this game, and we'll we'll talk through a lot of uh, of your take off the Miami game, which I thought was uh, was very uh, interesting, and I'm I'm curious about what you think about some things going forward. But you talk about kind of noticing something that <clears throat> that hasn't been discussed, and the first thing I saw out of what I read from you was. Quentin Spain, who you say was kind of undeniably the best offensive lineman in the Miami game. Talk us through what you saw from Spain, and let's lead in uh, from there into what you didn't see from the tight ends in the blocking game. Yeah, so I I thought Spain had an outstanding game. I didn't really notice it on first watch when I was watching it live, and it's always tough to to really get a good feel for offensive line play uh, from TV broadcast angles. But uh, watching it back, I thought Spain was excellent. I didn't see him really have any bus from an assignment or, uh, you know, job standpoint. And what he did above and beyond that was actually really impressive. I mean, I thought his reach blocking on outside zone runs was really good, especially since that was a concern that a lot of people had with him, uh, you know, moving into this system, would he be able to move laterally enough to, uh, to really be effective in an outside zone based run scheme. And I thought he uh, did a great job with that. And furthermore, when they went into some of the read option stuff, he, he was moving some of those nose tackles quite a bit. He had a couple plays where he took the nose and moved him a good five yards out of the way to create a pretty big hole. So uh, I thought he was excellent and, um, and really played well. So hopefully he keeps that up moving forward, but would you have typecast him as many of us as, as a guy you, you wondered about coming into the zone scheme. I, I, I know it's, and does he kind of symbolize the evolution of this thing? Because once upon a time, Alex Gibbs in, in Denver and then uh, Atlanta or Houston was was about small guys who could really move. And you wouldn't have seen somebody like Quentin Spain on his lines, but the Titans can do some of those things with a guy like Quentin Spain, who I wouldn't say is a phone booth guy, but he's closer to a phone booth guy stereotypically than he is a a traditional zone guy wouldn't you think yeah i would i would agree with that i mean his size for sure screams more of a uh a power guard um at six five and i think he's about 330 pounds or at least that's where he came into the league maybe he lost a few pounds this offseason or something but um he does seem to be moving pretty well um or at least better than than maybe he moved early in his career and um yeah I, i'm i'm a little surprised at his early success but um he did i will say this there's a guy on twitter and i think his uh he does like a ras score i think it's uh ken platt or something like that and he has been preaching quentin spain as uh a better athlete than what he gets credit for for ever since he came out in the draft and so i'm i'm almost wondering if uh, maybe that guy was onto something I am uh, remiss here because uh, without Madison thrown off my my usual rhythm, I failed to say we are brought to you by Yazoo Brew, uh, a Nashville tradition. I like to think of myself now as a Nashville kind of thing. 
paulkuerski.com certainly is a national thing. Yazoo, great beer, uh, huge variety, respected by all. Lots of people come to town to see a Titans game, uh, find out about Yazoo, go home, and uh, are bitter that they can't get it wherever they are. If you come to Nashville, you have to drink some. I'm partial to the Hefeweizen. I recommend that uh, next time you're at a bar, you order one next time you're shopping, get a six pack for yourself for next time you're watching ball. Let's go from Spain to uh, the tight ends who have not been a good blocking group so far uh, in the opener. We didn't, we saw some signs of that in the preseason. Some things we're supposed to read into from the preseason. Sometimes some things were not. John New Smith may be being saved from that blocking role now that Delaney Walker's out and they're going to throw to him more, which he's, a better receiver, I think, than a blocker. Um, but from your vantage point, what were his failures and the failures of the group in uh, in pass protection and the run game in week one? Yeah, I would I would say um, that was something I was worried about going into it, and I'm I'm probably more worried now uh, coming out of that game. I thought Smith and uh, Stalker to a slightly lesser degree, but but he wasn't great either. I thought they really let the team down in the blocking, uh, in run blocking. Um, they missed uh, a few times in, you know, I know it's not an easy assignment when you ask a guy like Johnny Smith, um, who's a second year, you know, more of a receiving type tight end to come down and block, uh, Robert Quinn, who's, you know, a, still a quality defensive end in the game, but, you know, ultimately you've got to get the job done one way or another. And he, uh, he missed a few that really cost him. And, and I think there was a play that, uh, um, you know, specifically with Derek Henry, where he was going with an outside zone uh, left and he just got completely turned back because both Stalker and Smith missed their blocks. And uh, he ended up getting back to the line of scrimmage, but it took a pretty Herculean effort on his part to get back there. So um, I thought they both struggled mightily. Um, and I would say, moving him out of that blocking role may help uh, the run game a little bit. I think Stalker is a much better blocker, not that he's, you know, uh, the second coming of Craig Stevens by any means, but he's uh, he's better at it than John who is at this point. In his uh, let's go to number three. Uh, I didn't pay attention, honestly, to Ferkser as a blocker uh, in the preseason. We saw him with the one game where he made a bunch of catches, uh, uh, you know, probably with threes and against threes. But, um, uh, what do you think of his ability to block? I, I'm wondering if Pruitt can't go right past him, uh, particularly for a Houston game where Pruitt comes from, who's signed off the, the, the Texans practice squad, Vraber, Vraber, Vrabel, familiar with him. Uh, and he's familiar, obviously, with J.J. Watt and Jadavion Clowney and Whitney Merciless. I would think in this game you're going to need some tight ends to really contribute to the pass protection uh, and to keep Marcus on his feet. Um, and I don't know if, if Anthony Ferkser is up to that as well as Pruitt might be. What, what's your guess on that based on what you know? Yeah, so I, I don't know a ton about Pruitt. I did a little bit of uh, research into him, and it looked like he was a, you know, a big-time athlete guy coming out. But, I, you know, obviously he's kind of bounced around and been on fringes of rosters for years. But um, Ferkser, I, I didn't think of much of him as a, a blocker. I think he's – far more of a move type receiving tight end. I thought he was kind of a uh, smaller, yeah, I guess slightly smaller, slower version of Jonu Smith, honestly, uh, was kind of my perception of him uh, from watching a few practices at camp and uh, and obviously the preseason action. But yeah, I would not say Ferkser's a great fit for 
um, a blocking type role for sure. And, and Pruitt, if he is a better blocker, um, could certainly help them there. The question, of course, would be how quick can he pick up the scheme and and uh, and how much is that valuable versus his ability to block? Yeah, I, I wondered, uh, honestly, in this game, if the scheme is, uh, is that complicated, if you say, hey, I need you to line up next to, to Kelly or next to Lawan or next to Pamphiel and uh, put a body on whoever's rushing that edge, the most dangerous guy. You know, sometimes when a, when a, uh, a receiver joins a team, you have them one r- run two routes or, uh, you know, a certain small bundle of plays or, or a new guy can get a very narrow role. I don't know if it's possible or not, but if you can get a narrow role and you've got a guy who might slow down, help slow down, uh, some of those pass rushing weapons, I think the Titans might be w- wise to 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 check it out. And who knows? Maybe they keep all four active to give themselves um, as many options as they can for for one specific game. I want to ask you about Henry and Lewis, and we're going to go back to uh, to Deion Lewis in a little bit. But uh, you know, to me, this fundamental refusal of people to accept the work split or to constantly question it is, is related to directly to one thing. It's fantasy football. <laughs> yeah. um, I've got Derek Henry on one of my teams. I would have loved to have seen the Titans use him to get in the end zone after the stalker play, um, but they couldn't find their way in. Um, I didn't think he ran particularly well, uh, you know, but then Bettingfield says, hey, he turned, a, you know, a minus seven into a zero and the blocking in the first half was really crap. Lewis was certainly – uh, more dynamic and more productive. They're saying, and I believe them, but people seem not to believe them. I, I believe them not just with these two guys, but with everybody, that it's going to be game-specific choices, and then it's going to be specific choices based on what's happening in the game. I don't know that it was the right thing to start that game leaning on Derrick Henry, but they found the right thing ultimately, and the right thing in that game was Deion Lewis. I, I, I was fine with him getting more work, even if Henry got the 62-yard touchdown or whatever it was. Uh, you know, one home run play would have been great, but Lewis on a carry-to-carry basis was doing better. Uh, do you think it's it's the smart and wise thing to do to try to um, to, to game plan and, and go different directions based on the opponent? And by the way, um, Matt LaFleur said on Thursday in, in talking about the two backs, he did call Henry. I mean, he did call Lewis the third down back. So that's as close as we've come to any defined role for either of them. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. No, um, I, I would say, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to vary game by game. And I, I think that's probably the right approach. Cause you know, I think about it like this over the next two games, you've got, uh, Houston and Jacksonville, right? So you've got Houston who, if you look at linebacker versus running back matchups in general, Houston's got bigger, maybe slightly slower linebackers versus Jacksonville having smaller, very fast linebackers. I would think you might want to use Lewis a little bit more against Houston and Henry a little bit more against Jacksonville, where you can get Lewis in those matchups against the, you know, Bernardrick McKinney, maybe that is not as good of a mover in space and allow him to work in those option routes and allow him to, to maybe get that guy one-on-one and, and juke him and go around him. Whereas with Jacksonville, that's, that's going to be a much better matchup for a miles Jack or a Telvin Smith uh, mm-hmm. trying to cover Dion De- Lewis. Whereas they may not have as much success against the, the stiff arm or the power of Derrick Henry, even though, you know, he's 
kind of been, you know, maybe not quite the power back that he looks like um, over his career. But I, I think it's going to vary by game. And I also think uh, game flow probably affected uh, Lewis's usage against Miami quite a bit because once they got down in that second half, you really almost never saw Henry after that. I mean, we saw the, the one big run uh, that got called back, but I can't remember a whole lot else from Henry in the second half. It was mostly Lewis, I felt like. Yeah, I I, I didn't feel like he was – like I was surprised when I looked up and saw him running for that touchdown because it was such a surprise to see him back in the game. That's how dramatically they went to Lewis. When you, yeah. I, I think it's a great comparison you make there. And when you, when you say Henry and Jacksonville in the same sentence, I think most of us flash first to Henry bulldozing uh, Jalen Ramsey uh, at the goal line. Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and we were talking about that today. Uh, Ramsey is um, going off basically on, on a, an opponent each week. So he's going on Gronkowski uh, this week we were we were speculating on midday 180. Hutton brought this up. Who will he go after on the Titans next week? It could be Mariota, who he was somewhat complimentary of, but it would make sense for him to go after Derrick Henry because he's got a little history there um, from that play. The other thing about Henry against the Jags, he wasn't, if I'm remembering correctly, and I've got bad game recall, he didn't run well in the season finale against the Jaguars, but he caught a pass for a long touchdown, right? Yeah, yeah. He, so he wound up with 70-something yards mm-hmm. on a touchdown, but his yards per carry was terrible um, in that game. Yeah, he really got eaten up uh, by the Jaguars in that final game last year. Although I don't know that he, – he did have some of the stuff where he tried to reverse field, and that seems to yeah. always go poorly for him. Um, yeah, but he should I, never do that. He should yeah. never do that. Yeah, he, he largely I've been encouraged by the fact that he seems to have cut that out this year, even in preseason action. I didn't really see much of that and, and certainly not against Miami. He had one where he kind of had to just, you know, out of uh, a broken block, uh, like we talked about with, with Smith and Stalker. But um, I, I think he's been a little bit better about that this year so far. So hopefully it doesn't revert back to bad habits. But I thought the blocking wasn't great in Jacksonville either. They They seem to. Um, and, and when I reviewed that game last year, they had this one look uh, that they kept running. And every time the Jaguars would bring a safety up on the line of scrimmage and the receiver could not get that block and he kept blowing up the play. I mean, it happened three or four times where they got him for a loss because they just couldn't block the safety uh, based on alignment. And uh, it drove that was one of those things that drove me crazy about Terry Rubisky and, and that offense was – they would do that over and over and over again and not adjust. Um, no, it's going to pop. It's going to pop. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That was the most irritating uh, interview I've ever witnessed uh, from a football coach. Yeah, that was, uh, it was Terry's big thing. It's interesting because LaFleur this week was talking about trying not to, to let Henry and Lewis get stereotyped. Um, and, and, you know, you certainly don't want that to happen, but off that small sample size, you know, Cosell was saying Lewis looks like much more the outside zone runner and Henry more so like the inside guy. He takes Henry the the long legs and the and the kind of slower change of direction, despite the fact that he can get going very fast, makes him not great at outside zone. Titans are going to have to find a way not to have a telegraph that when Henry's in the game, hey, uh, it's probably not outside zone and that when Lewis is in the game, hey, it probably is. Uh, and I think that's part of the challenge for Lafleur in the run game. I know uh, they're going to make a lot of play action stuff uh, look like a lot of run stuff, and and there should be defensive confusion in that. But I think uh, making sure Henry catches some passes, 
so that Lewis isn't purely the catching back and making sure they each run some of the runs that are the other guy's forte is going to be important in terms of not being super predictable. This is the end of the first part of this. Uh, Mike Herndon's our guest. He's at Mike Miracles on uh, Twitter. Uh, writes some very good stuff at Music City Miracles. Uh, has a great vantage point on a lot of stuff. When we come back after this short break, we'll talk about what he's discovered about 0-1 teams, about the potential for Evans and Landry to be back in the mix, a little bit more about Deion Lewis stylistically, and then what we all want, uh, Marcus Mariota, uh, was he as out of rhythm as we thought? What's going on with him and Corey Davis? And that wasn't just Mariota, but it was some Gabbert too. We'll hit on all of that stuff after a short break. On the other side of this, it's four members only. You should be one, $5.99 a month, the price of a fancy cup of coffee or a fancy beer. Uh, well worth your effort. You get these podcasts every week. You get uh, private Periscope slash Facebook sessions. You're a member of the club. You get Blake Bettingfield before and after every game. You get everything I write. It's a steal at that price. Go to paulkuharski.com. Look at memberships. And I'll remind you, we are sponsored by Yazoo Brewery here. The Paul Kuharski Podcast is a joint production of paulkuharski.com and Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com. Mm-hmm.